The Tiger Tamer Who Went to Sea from History Extra charts the life of a remarkable Victorian, Britain's original long-distance wheelbarrow pedestrian. New episodes are out every Thursday or listen to the whole series immediately ad-free by subscribing to History Extra Plus on Apple Podcasts or listening on HistoryExtra.com. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Shakespeare Past Master our new series exploring some of the playwright's most famous works and what they tell us about history. I'm Matt Alton. In this episode, we're discussing Shakespeare's exploration of youth in Romeo and Juliet. An early entry in Shakespeare's canon, but one of his most famous, the play sees teenagers Romeo and Juliet fall in love and marry, despite being from rival families. My colleague Ellie Cawthorn spoke to Dr Sophie Duncan, an expert in Shakespeare studies at Magdalen College, University of London, about what the play tells us about youth and young love at the time Shakespeare was writing. So welcome to the History Extra podcast, Sophie. It's great to be talking to you. Romeo and Juliet, it's leaked into the public consciousness in all kinds of ways, I think, in the centuries since Shakespeare wrote it. But for anyone who has managed to avoid that, or perhaps needs a reminder if they studied it at school many years ago, could you give us a sketch? What's it all about? Certainly, and thank you very much for inviting me on. Romeo and Juliet is Shakespeare's first great tragic play. It's the story of a 13-year-old girl who goes to her first party, meets a boy, and falls in love, which would be fine, except that their families are locked in a long-standing and very bloody feud. So there's huge parental opposition. They keep their relationship secret, get married, and three or four days later, they're both dead. That's a very succinct summary and a lot else happens, obviously. In each of these episodes, we're picking a play and we're looking at one theme in that play. The theme that you've nominated for Romeo and Juliet is youth. So why? Why do you think that that's an interesting thing to explore in this play? I think it's fascinating because Shakespeare makes the characters so incredibly young. We tend to think of people in the 16th century, in the early modern period, as getting married very young. But in fact, Juliet at 13 would have been scandalously young even to people in the Renaissance to be getting married. I think another reason why youth is a great topic for this play, perhaps more so than love, which might seem like the obvious option, because really in the 20th century in particular, this became a play that was used to talk about the teenage experience. So let's just cover off a couple of basics before we go any further. You said there that Juliet, the character, is 13. How do we know that? And do we know how old Romeo is? We don't know how old Romeo is. The suggestion is that he is also very young, but not as young as Juliet. Early in the play, a wealthy nobleman called Count Paris comes to Juliet's father and asks for her hand in marriage. Financially speaking, this is a very good deal. Paris is related to the ruling family. But Juliet's father says, no, not yet. She's too young. And then a bit later, Juliet's mother tells us very specifically that in a couple of weeks, Juliet's going to be 
14. So she's still 13, nearly 14 when the play begins. And it's very unusual for Shakespeare to be so specific about a character's age. He wants us to take note of this, that this is a very, very young girl. Her father calls her a stranger in the world and says she needs to wait at least two more years before she can get married. This is a view he changes for various reasons later in the play, but it's very much emphasised to the audience, Juliet is a baby, she's too young. So this is really interesting because, as you say, Shakespeare is choosing to be really specific here and you're suggesting that actually this was seen as young at the time. Why did he make that choice, do you think? I think it has a lot to do with his treatment of the source for the play. The Romeo and Juliet story is a very old one. It comes from medieval, actually Siena, before Verona, but it's regarded as part of historical folklore. It makes its way into English in the middle of the 1500s. And in those sources, most recent to Shakespeare, I should say, is a poem by Arthur Brooke called The Tragical History of Romeus and Juliet. So another thing Shakespeare changes is the name of the hero. And in that, Juliet is 16. Shakespeare makes her younger. The other big change he makes is that whereas Brooke is really unsympathetic to the lovers, he writes a prologue saying they deserve what they get, they don't listen to their parents, they give in to their lust, they hang out with Catholics. Shakespeare's prologue really blames the parents. He says that it's the feud, the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's ends naught could remove. He sets up the children's deaths as a consequence of the parents' feud, that the children are, and he does specify that they are children, are the victims of this feud, rather than, as Brooke sees them, naughty, libidinous teenagers. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Interesting. So do you think he's doing that to make a broader point about the kind of continuance of violence and that basically making them innocents caught up in a situation that they're not to blame for? Is that why you think he might have made them a bit younger? It's such a fascinating question. Shakespeare is generally pretty sympathetic to youth. He's very astute about what male adolescence can mean. There's a part in a later play called The Winter's Tale, where a shepherd says of young men that basically there's nothing good between the ages of 16 and 23. It's just a time for getting wenches with child and annoying the gentry and generally being a nuisance. But typically, he is on the side of the young. Biographical explanations are really tempting, and although I normally try to stay away from them, I do note that his eldest daughter was Juliet's kind of age at the time he was writing the play. In terms of the lovers being innocent victims of the violence. While I think that's very true for Juliet, Romeo 
is surprisingly the most violent character in the play. Although initially he tries to stay out of the feud, and once he's married Juliet, which he does about halfway through the play, he tries to avoid getting into a fight with Juliet's cousin Tybalt. By the end of the play, and it's a violent play, he's the only character who's committed two murders. So our romantic hero is actually the play's most violent character too. I wonder if you could give us a bit more historical background here. So at the time that Shakespeare was writing, how did society conceptualise youth and and childhood and ageing? That's such an excellent question. Early modern parents in particular, like parents today, are very preoccupied with how to bring up their adolescent children. We tend to think about the teenager and the sort of rebellious adolescent as a product of the 20th century, of the post-war generation gap. But as with Shakespeare's commentary on what teenage boys are like in The Winter's Tale, if you look across early modern literature, there's lots of concern about keeping your teenage, although they wouldn't use that word, children on the straight and narrow. And a big part of this is debates about marriage. How far do parents have the right to entirely determine their child's choice of life partner? So for the very first audiences who would have gone to see Romeo and Juliet, how important do you think it would have been to their understanding of the play and the plot that the central characters were meant to be so young? I think it would have added to the shock of the play. I think it would have made the ending in particular far more shocking and tragic, even though we are told in the prologue that the play is going to end badly. But the kind of central premise of the play, boy meets girl, parents are hugely in the way, that wasn't only a tragic plot on Shakespeare's stage. If you look at plenty of his other plays, like Midsummer Night's Dream, for example, which he had either just written or was about to write when he wrote Romeo and Juliet, young love is allowed to conquer all. I think it would have increased the sympathy for the lovers that they are so young, but also perhaps perturbed early modern viewers, because however sympathetic you are to Romeo and Juliet, how many early modern parents, or indeed parents today, would really be thrilled and sympathetic if their child got into a relationship with their mortal enemies. It is interesting because in the centuries since, the play has become essentially a byword for the ultimate love story, the ultimate romanticism. And I think maybe this sense that they are so young is sometimes lost in that. Do you think that their age should shape the way we see the plot? Because, you know, if if we focus on the fact they're so young, it becomes less an ultimate love story and more, a, you know, a teenage infatuation, a, a kind of like an Elizabethan twilight, doesn't it? Definitely. I love that Elizabethan twilight. Definitely. These are two genuine, very young adolescents. You're right, it's become a byword for all that is romantic, but also I think quite toxic. We're encouraged by this play, or you see the trope being invoked, to justify a lot of things that I think are quite damaging. That true love hurts, that it's not love if you don't have to fight for it, that it's us against the world, all of which can be very seductive but not necessarily very sustainable. And of course, sustaining a relationship, a marriage, that's precisely what Romeo and Juliet aren't called upon to do. We never see them being a married couple. We never see them doing the things that would have been normal and adult 
for an early modern couple. And I think actually that's worth picking up on, that the transition from childhood to adulthood, that's a big part of marriage, that if Romeo and Juliet were a normal, early modern, young married couple, Romeo would have an estate to supervise or a business if he were lower down the social scale. Juliet would be running the household. They'd have to manage all the kind of domestic trials and tribulations. They never do that. We don't see them together very much in the play at all. For quite, I think probably for one of their longest sequences on stage, one of them is unconscious or dead for most of it. So it's a very atypical relationship that has become a template for romance. Mm, And has definitely captured the hearts of teenagers down the years. I remember myself being a teenager obsessed with the Baz Luhrmann version of Romeo and Juliet. Definitely. I wonder if you could talk a bit about later productions and how much they've they've drawn on the themes of youth and, and perhaps rebellion as well. I find this incredibly interesting because the first Juliet in particular on stage would have been a boy because boys played female roles in Shakespeare's day, would have been sort of 13, 14, 15. Then, with notable exceptions, over the next few centuries, you've tended to have actresses who are further on in their career. But then in the 20th century, there is this enormous returning fascination with the authenticity of youth. And if you look at the Franco Zeffirelli film from 1968, Olivia Hussey was 15 when she had, I think, frankly, a pretty terrible experience making that film. Leonard Whiting as Romeo was slightly older. And then you've got Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio in the Baz Luhrmann version. So these four incredibly pretty people. I mean, they're beautiful. And it's this very romanticised and I think actually quite nostalgic idea of youth. With Franco Zeffirelli, he was making this film during the Cold War and there is this sense of the lovers as flower children. That's how they were understood by critics at the time as beautiful hippies against this nasty adult backdrop of hate. And then in the 1990s, with Leonardo DiCaprio at his very prettiest, and Claire Danes, who interestingly had been recast as a replacement for Natalie Portman because she just looked problematically young. It's a very fine line, which I think sometimes directors really have crossed in wanting to document the authenticity of youth and create this beautiful romance with very pretty golden actors that can kind of stray into exploitation. It would be fascinating, wouldn't it, to go back to Elizabethan England and see a production of Romeo and Juliet in which a 13-year-old boy is playing Juliet. That would be an entirely different experience of the story, wouldn't it? I think it definitely would be... It it would be an entirely different experience for us in the same way that for the Elizabethans to come and see one of our productions would blow their minds. It's very hard for us to kind of recover what that atmosphere would have been like. Juliet is a great role. It's Shakespeare's first real tragic heroine. As a role, it shows tremendous confidence in very young boy actor. And it's a play which is incredibly frank about teenage sexuality. Juliet has a speech before her wedding night to Romeo where she makes it really, really clear she is looking forward to having sex, which is a speech that has caused all kinds of problems for directors even up until the present day. So whether it's a 13-year-old boy 
or a teenage actress or an older actress, there is an incredible frankness about young female sexuality there. And in many ways, later productions have emphasised rebelliousness. So, of course, these two young lovers, they elope, they're also getting into fights. But is that representative of how Shakespeare viewed youth? Do you think that that's there in the basic text? There's tons of gang violence in the text. You're right that the emphasis on teen rebelliousness and kind of gang identity has become more and more interesting to people as overt teen culture has developed. West Side Story, the most famous musical adaptation of the play, came about because the creators were reading about reports of gang violence in New York. But in terms of how Shakespeare viewed youth, I think it's certainly how he viewed Italian youth. Another important part of the play is its setting. Shakespeare, I think, had never been to Italy, but he has an early modern Englishman's idea of Italy as very violent, very hot-blooded, very sexy, very sunny, all of which he brings into the play. There is a particular visibility of violence in the early modern period that thankfully we're not really able to recapture today. Violent crime, sword fighting, altercations, murders, things like that were absolutely a feature of early modern London. Shakespeare was living and working in districts of London that were noted for crime. And so whether it's a specific association between youth and violence or just a kind of general reflection of how violent the society is. I couldn't really say, but it definitely infuses every element of the play. So why do you think all of this is still so resonant today? Why is Romeo and Juliet still an interesting play to to read, to perform and to discuss in 2023? This will sound like quite a sentimental start to the answer. But I think we, as a society, remain incredibly beguiled by the idea of first love. Because Shakespeare remains so prominent in the English-speaking classroom, it's often a play which people encounter at the point of their first love. And if they come to it later, they can feel very nostalgic about it. So the idea of first love is incredibly beguiling and captivating. Second, the question of loyalty, how you navigate loyalty to your family versus loyalty to your partner, the degree to which parents can or should control their children, that is an issue which does not go away. Lord Capulet says of Juliet that he owns her and he says to her, you know, if you won't marry the man of my choice, hang, beg, starve, die in the streets. And this is a man who's been bringing up his precious only daughter, his heiress, so carefully, and that completely falls apart when she disobeys him. Where Juliet has resonated around the world, that's often been at times as well of sectarian violence, where the idea of interfaith, interracial relationships has been particularly charged. Romeo and Juliet is a play we've used collectively as a society, to tell stories about our own or other people's conflicts. And more than some Shakespeare plays, it has become a kind of sociological teaching tool, I suppose. You find it on syllabi for talking and teaching ideas of conflict, ideas of identity, ideas of liberty and independence. 
The other thing is it just has some of Shakespeare's most beautiful poetic language. When Romeo and Juliet first meet, their chemistry and their love for each other is so instant that they just spontaneously speak a sonnet. And I think, too, the other aspect is through the performance history of the play, we've gained some incredibly powerful stage images, if you like, that aren't there in the play. For example, there is no balcony in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet because we did not have balconies in England in the 1590s. But in the 18th century, David Garrick turned, who was a great actor, turned Juliet's window into a balcony. And now, if you pop a girl on a balcony and have a boy stand underneath looking a bit devoted, we all go, ah, yes, Romeo and Juliet. And finally, Sophie, what's your own favourite production or interpretation of Romeo and Juliet? The dreadful thing about being a theatre historian is often you suspect that your favourite productions are ones that happened before you were born and you read about them (laughs) and it's very sad. So there are several historical productions I would like to have seen. But if I had to choose a version that I have seen, I must admit, for me, it's very hard to beat the Zeffirelli film, which has a hugely problematic history. There were things that went on during the filming which were allegedly very bad. In some ways, the film looks and sounds very dated now. But aesthetically, and again, it's the authenticity of youth, those central performances are completely captivating. I think there's almost been nothing more beautiful on the screen than Olivia Hussey as Juliet and the the settings and the kind of earnest, romantic, swooning Italian beauty of it all. Even though I am sometimes quite cynical about the play, it's very hard not to be captivated and go, oh, uh, yes, how beautiful, how wonderful. That was Sophie Duncan in conversation with Ellie Cawthorn. Sophie's books include Searching for Juliet, The Lives and Deaths of Shakespeare's First Tragic Heroine, published by Scepter. Don't miss the other episodes in this series, and you can also enjoy four extra bonus episodes featuring experts delving into plays including The Tempest and The Merchant of Venice, by subscribing to History Extra Plus on Apple Podcasts and heading to our specials feed or subscribing to the History Extra website.